0: Hello and welcome to The Shana Show. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and holistic health coach. I'm on a mission to help you live a nourished life on every single level. When it comes to your health, your purpose, your growth and everything in between, this podcast is a tool to guide and inspire you towards becoming your happiest and healthiest self. So if you're hungry for growth, you are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is the lovely Rebecca Ponsford, who is a dietitian and nutritionist who specializes in disordered eating, eating disorders, gut health, and digestion. So she's helping people improve their relationship with food and just make food easier. I'm really excited to chat to you today, Rebecca. I'm looking forward to diving into gut health and digestion. These are massive topics and I call these the foundation of good health, like gut health. If we can nail that, it just snowballs into all of the other areas of our health. So it's, this is going to be a good one. Thank you for being here. And yeah, let's get into it by hearing a little bit about your story and how you got interested and passionate in these areas of gut health and disordered eating.
1: Lovely. Well, thank you firstly for the introduction. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like it's a, yeah it's a bit of a a bit of a longish story or a multi-factored story but um I think I always wondered whether I started being interested in more working in disordered eating or started being more interested in gut health or whether they were just kind of both happening at different times Mm -hmm. um but growing up I did have um unfortunately a lot of people around me or particular people around me and loved ones who were experiencing eating disorders so it was kind of a um a bit of a unique um, thing for me growing up because I was exposed to eating disorders from quite a, a young age and, and understanding, I suppose, a little bit about them. Now I know so much more working in the area, but yeah. um, but that was definitely something that was, um, yeah, a factor in, I guess, my influence of understanding food and nutrition in the body. Yeah. It didn't at the time when I was younger, didn't really lead me to want to be a nutritionist or dietitian. Um, I think I just went through school um, and then by the time I was doing, I think it was like a year 10 biology class and we had to do um, an assignment where you had to do like a children's coloring, like a children's storybook, coloring book, yeah, um, a journey of a food through the digestive tract. And I just loved it. I loved everything about it, like the salivary glands and how it travels through the esophagus. And it was on Sally the Strawberry, it was my one. And I just thrived and loved that whole topic. And so I think that's where my interest in gut health and nutrition to an extent, like how food, what happens to food when we eat it, actually started from. Um, And then, yeah, then I became really interested in cooking um, sort of in my teenage years. And then that turned into more... Um, you know how to make vegetables taste good and how to make food delicious that's healthy and then um, yeah and then I kind of yeah went on to to want to study nutrition and dietetics um, and I think along the way I became a little bit too obsessed with the healthy eating side of things like became a little bit you um, yeah a little bit too worried about food and it was kind of influencing my mental health in a lot of ways and um it was interestingly through studying nutrition and dietetics that I actually started to I think improve my relationship with food and realize that it was so much more about social eating as well as like you know there's so many factors that influence why we eat um and yeah, and then the first part of my, I guess, short so far career um, has been working in, um, in gut health. So specializing in, in, um, in gastrointestinal disorders, um, things like IBS and um, the low FODMAP diet has been a big part of my first few years. Um, as well as, yeah, now I work predominantly in the disordered eating, eating disorders area. So that's kind of the, the background into where it got to. but. Um, who knows where we'll continue going I think I'm so fascinated by both of um, these areas and like they intertwine so much um, gut health and eating disorders so that's you know a really exciting um, area to explore how they can connect as well
0: yeah absolutely and I'm looking forward to diving into the link between the two of those a little bit later in the episode um, but to start let's go into gut health what are some of the most common things you see people come into the clinic with when it comes to some of those unhealthy symptoms or yeah signs that someone's gut is a little bit out of whack and needs some help yeah okay sure
1: um the most common one is probably bloating, um, the most commonly reported symptom. Um, and that can be because bloating can happen for so many different reasons. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: <clears throat> so that's where, yeah, so that's where we often see clients coming in and they're complaining of bloating. Mm-hmm. Um, abdominal pain, so any pain, whether it's like high up in the gut or lower down in the belly, um, on the sides or more like random cramps can be another um, sign that something might be going on digestion wise mm-hmm. um, and then changes in bowel habits is a huge one as well so whether that's um, more on the loose end more diarrhea predominant or um find it really typical to go so more constipation predominant um yeah so it could be either or it could be a mixture of both which is sometimes really confusing as well so that's probably like they're probably some signs something's going on with the gut more it could be functional or it could be organic um yeah. And then anything that's more what I'd call red flag, like signs, would be blood in the stools, um, waking up in the night, needing to go to the toilet, um, like really persistent diarrhoea, for example. Um, not, none of it's fun. Um, particularly <laughs> it would be um, uh, yeah, more red flags that there might be something a little bit more sinister going on that we want to be really careful of finding out um, what that is
0: yeah so interesting the gut isn't it and it's great that we do have those things that we can look out for so we know when something's not going right and we can get the help and the support from people like you um so one of the things you mentioned I'm going to go straight to the stool health because (laughs) I personally think it's so important for us to normalize talking about stools and I know us as nutritionists and you as a dietitian, like it's something we talk about probably daily but for everyone else it can feel a little bit uncomfortable hearing about it or uncomfortable talking about it but when that conversation Opened up, I've really noticed people wanting to ask questions and wanting to know more because it is so like taboo. And yeah, let's chat a little bit about what a normal, healthy stool would look like. Um, And then you've mentioned a little bit what it can look like on the unhealthy side, but maybe we can dive into that a little bit more too.
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, and I so agree. Every client I see, I'm like, it's completely normal to like. I, it's nothing embarrassing if we're talking about your bowel movements. Like, talking about this with everybody. I think my family and my partner are a little bit embarrassed about how much of <laughs> love like um, table over the dinner table talk. Um, try not to separate, try, try to separate it from food, but it does. Come. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So healthy bowel movements. Um, they can really vary quite a bit, to be honest, like what we consider healthy and normal um, in terms of like what the guidelines, I suppose, are. Yeah. Um, so in terms of how frequently one might go to the toilet um, for a bow uh, movement, number two, whatever we want to call them, mm-hmm. um, uh, I would say that um, I like to see my clients going, if possible, daily, if not every second day. Mm-hmm. Um, and daily, it's also quite normal to be going up to three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with our normal range can vary from once every three days to up to three times a day. So that's a pretty broad range. Um, and I think normal will be different for everybody. So someone's normal might be every second day and that suits their body really well. Um, but I would, um, yeah, I would ideally like to see clients going around daily to every second day because we eat every day. And yeah. um, ideally if there's some fiber going in there and lots of different you know, types of food that we're going to see um, the wastage from that be excreted regularly, essentially. Yep.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's an important note because like we are eating generally three times a day, sometimes more if we're snacking yeah. in between. And then, yeah, we want to make sure the same quantity that's going in is also coming out.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have
0: to be like, you know, have breakfast, go to the toilet. Have yeah, definitely
1: to toilet. not. That can help. It's like the the gastrocolic reflex can be why we go eat something and then we need to go, but it's it's not that meal that we just ate that's coming out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, absolutely. But yeah,
1: but definitely just kind of making sure that things are feeling regular in that sense and then yeah. um, the consistency or the type of stool would be a really important factor as well. So
0: yeah. um,
1: I use the Bristol stool chart a lot in clinic, yeah. um, which is just one of the, I guess, um, universal tools to be able to identify what bowel movement might look like. Yeah. Um, and it's not... I wouldn't say it's perfect because there's often, you know, um, it can it's very common for someone's stools to vary between different types on the chart but essentially um it ranges from the type 1 which is more on the like rabbit droppings constipation end up to type 7 which is more loose. Um yep. sorry, it's just so detailed around bowel movements. I feel like I'm this is
0: great. This is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: so essentially we want it to be around that middle. So um it's, I hate the description because it's a bit off-putting, but like a sausage and smooth formed, um, not uh, I guess incomplete or broken up. Um, yeah. And we want it to feel comfortable, so there's not like it's a lot of straining um, and not a lot of like urgency to like I really need to go right now or otherwise something's going to happen. Um, yeah. Kind of thing. So um, yeah, feeling really um, I guess um, smooth um, formed, comfortable and um, most days would be how i put it, narrow it down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Great descriptions there. And yeah, not too much detail at all. This is perfect because a lot of people don't know this and like for us, it's so normal because we learnt this, um, or we talk about it all the time, but for the listeners, this might be the first time they've ever been introduced to the Bristol tool chart. So I hope you guys are Googling that as we speak. <laughs> it's a great oh. little, yeah, it's a great reference. Um, and then the only other thing, that I want to touch on for this, I think would be in terms of feeling complete after going to the bathroom, what's your advice around that? Because there's definitely a big difference if you feel complete and you feel like, okay, it's all come out. Or if like, you don't feel complete, but you don't feel like any more is coming, like what's your advice and guidance around that?
1: Good question. Okay. So um, if it's like consistently, like always feeling incomplete, like I still kind of need to go, but I can't, I think that might be a sign that there's something going on possibly functionally um, or It could be something just going on with the gut that we can explore and try and identify what that is. Um, Sometimes um, it may be a sign of constipation um, where we're kind of not actually having like saying that we're going to the toilet every day so someone might go to the toilet every day but they may still very much be constipated and not completely emptying so that's where we look at fluid intake we may look at types of fiber that we're consuming um and then like lots of the kind of um, movement lifestyle factors as well that can help um but a general i guess Um, general advice would be outside of the food and fluid because I'm sure we'll get into that side of things uh, would be to um, allow enough time to go Um, Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be too long but um, you know uh, a few minutes five minutes probably maximum and just allow your body to have some rest and time there
0: Um,
1: I think also um, being conscious that some people have a bit of anxiety around using toilets in public or at work places and just out of their comfortable environment and that's where that might be more likely to happen yeah so that it is something that can be I suppose worked on over time with more exposure and um, kind of retraining the gut and the mind to be more comfortable going anywhere and responding to those um, sensations yeah. but also if in the interim it's just getting really good at listening to your body when you're in a comfortable space and you need to go and like Honoring that, urge. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be one thing. And then um, something small but um, significant, I suppose, is um, how like the posture we use. So um, in Western toilets, that um, we usually sit on a toilet, and that's actually not a very good posture for our um, bodies and our bowels to evacuate. So um, helpful tool can be to just put a little stool or like whether it's some toilet paper rolls and just put them under your feet to prop. Your, um, your knees up essentially. So I always say knees a little bit higher than your hips um, and just relax the belly. And that positioning can actually sometimes help make a bowel movement more complete as
0: well. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I think it was the start of this year. I bought myself one of those like squatty potties. It's one of the brands that um, sells the stool things. Um, And it's the best. I honestly recommend everyone goes out and gets some sort of little stool or squatty potty or whatever it is, because it does make such a difference with like, yeah, just like being able to empty your bowels more efficiently and effectively. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
1: It's just you know, it's kind of one of those things where I don't know the progression of Western toilets didn't quite catch on to um, yeah. the anatomy
0: of our bodies and how yeah. function. <laughs> so um, true, yeah, awesome. And I did think of one other thing: color. What's yes. your recommendation here?
1: Um, okay, so we want it to be um, essentially a. It sounds such like a sort of funny thing to talk about, but essentially a. Um, a dark brown color, not too like we don't want it to be black. We also don't want it to be too light or like a pale um, brown or yellowy tinge or green. Yeah. Uh, so there's a few different things that we don't we don't want some of the more um, uh, obscure colors. We could say we want we want just yeah. a kind of a nice dark brown. Um, a lighter stool may be indicating that there's some malabsorption going on with nutrients. Um, a darker stool, stool, stool may be indicating that there's, whether there's blood in the stool or whether it's, um, uh, like, due to medication or supplements, iron supplements that can be really common with. Yeah. Um, so there can be reasons why it happens. Another one that scares a lot of people is beetroot. If, yes. <laughs> if you've ever had um, a, a large amount of beetroot and then gone to the bathroom and, and <laughs> had a bit of a scary moment, um, <laughs> you know, it's good to double-check that there's nothing going on. But um, yeah just the pigmentation passing through and um, interestingly some people who um some people are more likely to have that pigment pass through and that can be commonly associated with um uh, being more likely to be iron deficient as well so interesting factor there (laughs)
0: something to
1: be aware of so I think if there's anything that doesn't look quite right it's worth investigating so talking to your doctor or dietitian nutritionist about it
0: yeah. And so I keep thinking of more things. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for going to this topic with me. <laughs> um, this is the last one. I'm not going to say I promise because who knows what else I'll think of, <laughs> but any undigested food in the stool? Mm,
1: yes, exactly. So we don't want to really see, we don't want to see a lot of undigested food in saying that, like I've had clients that really freak out because they've seen like a corn kernel. Um, yeah. Here. Yes. and um, there are some types of fibres like cellulose or like the, the kind of harder-to-digest breakdown fibres that will pass through. So they are just um, like roughage essentially. Um, yes. So unless we chewed them up really well or they were added into like a smoothie or blended up, um, we're probably going to see them come through and that's sometimes okay. But if there is if this is happening consistently and there's quite um, large pieces or large amounts of undigested food Um, It might be a sign that the gut is um, moving at a really fast rate or the motility is a bit too quick. Um, Some things are not getting digested properly and we want to investigate, you know, why that is and how we can prevent that so that we make sure that firstly, you're feeling more comfortable and secondly, um, absorbing all your nutrients um, that we that we want to absorb from food.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. And yeah, the corn's an interesting one that can actually be used as a transit time test, like yeah. seeing when you eat the corn and then when it comes out of yeah. the stool and how long yeah, food is taking to go through your digestive system. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. Don't freak out too much. corn. Yeah. (laughs) It's a common one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Amazing. Thank you so much for all of your insight into that topic. I feel like it's so important and so useful to know that as well, because it helps us be in touch with our body and what's going on internally. Like our stool is one of the barometers, just like our skin and hair and nails. Like these are all the ways that we can kind of assess what's going on inside even menstrual cycles like they're all telling us what's going on inside so the more we can know what to look for what to look out for the more we're able to adjust and accordingly so thank you i appreciate that no, 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 no. awesome so is there anything else you want to touch on in terms of some of the symptoms around gut health um, maybe even, so we've mentioned a little bit about what an unhealthy gut or some of the symptoms to look out for are. What about a healthy gut? What is the ideal? Like when you're working with someone, what's the kind of like end goal that you're trying to get to?
1: Yeah, good question. And I think this comes down to like, um, I suppose I'm used to working with people that do struggle with pretty significant um, gut issues or discomfort. So for example, a lot of people who have um, irritable bowel syndrome or functional diarrhea or functional constipation things like that so um but to anyone I would always say that it doesn't have to be perfect so what we're aiming for like the ideal is not going to be perfect every day um it's okay if you miss a day with a bowel movement it's actually very common um that kind of thing so I think it's to be um feeling like you're relatively comfortable when you digest food A bit of bloating after eating is quite normal. So like the food does have to go, I always say to clients, the food does have to go to somewhere. So it's going to be, you know, passing through our digestive tract and our beautiful gut bacteria and microbiome is doing a lot of work to to break it down. And sometimes that does cause a little bit of bloating or a little bit of gas production. So, you know, that that can be really normal process um, as long as it's not interfering with your Daily quality of life and how you and how comfortable you feel in a given day. Um, if you're sitting in a work meeting and your stomach won't shut up, <laughs> it's just gurgling, and you're feeling like your pants are feeling really uncomfortable and feeling really gassy and awful. That's where I'd say maybe like that's that's not normal. Um, we can do a lot to help prevent that, but um, yeah, some minor. Um, stomach sounds or um, a little bit of bloating or a little bit of just distension after eating can be um, fairly normal. Um, we spoke about the bowel movement side of things. So yeah, most days feeling comfortable, feeling regular. Um, and then I'd say it's pretty um, pretty much like we don't really want to experience a lot of abdominal pain. Um, sometimes, of course, like going out for a big meal for dinner, we might come home and feel like a little bit of tension there, but Um, on the whole regular I wouldn't really expect or um, consider abdominal pain or cramping as a normal thing as well
0: yeah awesome yeah great thing to work towards and what are some of the interventions and the things that you do encourage people to do when it comes to the food that they eat to support their gut health Okay, good
1: question. I feel like this as well depends a little bit on um, where someone's starting from. For example. Yeah,
0: and we should probably also have a disclaimer that food nutrition—it's always so individual. So this is general advice. Obviously, if anyone wants more personalized advice, then recommended to go see someone like you and um, get that tailored one-on-one advice.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. No one person that would have the exact same recommendations, but yeah, um, no two people. But yes. Um, I would say so. In terms of yeah, food and gut health, there is so much. It's hard to know where to start. Um, I think the basics would be like the gut loves consistency and regularity. So mm-hmm. eating kind of um, eating pretty consistently, whether that's eating consistent meal times most days. You know, it doesn't have to be exact same time, but um, having a bit more familiar familiarity for the gut with each day kind of foods coming in around the same sort of time in the same sort of portion sizes or the same sort of amounts. Um, that would be one thing um, that I would say is a good place to start.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and staying hydrated is obviously an important one as well because our bowels do function well when there is enough hydration going through to make sure that um, they can move properly, they can move nicely and smoothly through the digestive tract. Yeah. Um, but then in the food, I guess the food side of things can vary a lot, but having um, enough fibre in our diet is a huge one. Um, yeah. And that can be through different foods. It can be through Um, Whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, fruit, vegetables, um, they all count for fiber. So, kind of trying to cover those food groups as best as possible within your preferences or dietary requirements uh, would be highly encouraged.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, We do have good evidence that eating the 30 different plant based foods in a week is one of the best things that um, can support the gut microbiome. So, um, that is definitely. Maybe a goal to work towards, but I wouldn't say that everyone has to go out and like buy 30 different ingredients straight away and like start adding them in. It might actually like confuse the gut a little bit if you're not used to doing that. Um yep. so it's all about gradual, small changes and again, consistency is a big thing here. So
0: um
1: it might just be to add like one new vegetable into your routine each week and then see how that goes and then maybe start to add a different vegetable with the seasons or a different fruit, um, or sprinkle some nuts onto um. A salad or something like that that you're not used to doing, just to get those little extra food groups in that are going to be providing fiber, of course, other vitamins and minerals, but also um, nourishing that gut microbiome. Yep. Um, so that's definitely kind of a whole area there, the fiber intake. And then um, I'd also say like fermented foods. There's a lot of um, a lot more recent evidence around fermented foods um, and how beneficial they can be for the gut. And of course, they've been used like traditionally for. I'm going to say thousands of years, um, probably more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, including some kind of fermented foods. I think this is one where I would be careful if you are used to having a very sensitive gut to just when introducing something um, that is new and fermented foods. So that would be something like sauerkraut, like fermented cabbage or kimchi or it could be kefir or it could be a really nice sourdough bread or pickles. Um yoghurt, that kind of thing, I would start really small and start with maybe like one thing consistently and see if you firstly like the taste, enjoy it, and then if your body responds well to it as well. Mm. Um, they can be really beneficial for both our gut microbiome and reducing um, markers of inflammation in the gut, which is also really um, beneficial for our bodies and our health as well.
0: Yeah. Brilliant tips there. Some really great places for people to go when it comes to supporting their gut. Um, What's your opinion around cooked foods versus raw foods in terms of the digestibility of them? Mm, Good question.
1: Um, So I'm a big fan of cooked foods in a lot of ways. Um, And often this is where I like to start with a client if they're coming with, like, let's say, functional um, gastrointestinal symptoms and we've ruled out something like IVD like inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease and so we know that there's nothing like that sinister medical going on Um, before jumping into something like an elimination diet like the low FODMAP diet I think I'd like to kind of look at a gentle gut approach which is often focusing on foods that are more cooked um sort of softer more of the soluble type fibers or the viscous type fibers that are just easier to um for our bodies to digest because a little bit of the work's been done so yeah. like we think of a raw vegetable they're pretty tough there's a lot of like tough pieces of fiber very clear to see in there um takes a lot of chewing takes a lot of um enzymes to break them down and they can be so healthy and beneficial nothing wrong with yeah. raw foods yeah. but um if we think about something that's cooked a little bit of the work's been already done for us by the cooking yeah. process so' have our- our body gets to kind of take it on and it's not as much um so I suppose not as hard to break down and digest. So yeah. I would say cooked can be really beneficial if you do feel like you're struggling a little bit with digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I would still include some raw veggies in your diet or raw yeah.
0: fruits,
1: of course. Um, just so that we're getting in firstly like vitamin C, like nutrients that um sort of um hold themselves within the food when they're raw or larger amounts when they're raw um, we get different types of fibers there as well as so we get more of that roughage type fiber which is still good to have in in some amounts yeah. um, but we're we're not kind of going to be just going down one path or the other i
0: think yeah
1: a bit of everything's beautiful for the body
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I also find for me it varies seasonally as well. So in winter I'm obviously having a lot more cooked and then in summer I'm having more raw,
1: um,
0: but always having elements of both.
1: Yep, beautiful. Like just responding to, I guess, those natural cravings, we feel like more cold, raw foods in summer. Like seasonally there's a bit more of like the kind of cruciferous vegetables or um, root veggies that are lovely to roast. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that approach to eating, like really just listening to the body, listening to the seasons and just flowing with that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's kind of simple, but it's it's not as simple when we have so many different things in the supermarket, like yeah, know, any time of the year, whether they're from the US or they're from Australia.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I think going to the, your local grocer or doing like what's at the very front of the supermarket is usually what's in season because it's yeah. um, is a good sign to to go for.
0: Yeah, definitely. Love that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So we've touched on some great things to do in terms of food for our gut. What about other lifestyle practices? So water kind of falls under both of those categories. So we know we want to stay super hydrated and get enough fluids throughout the day. Um, What else would you add to that?
1: Yeah. So I would add, um, I think probably like actually one of the biggest things for the gut is stress management. Um, Mm -hmm. It is the gut and the brain. They love to have a good old talk to each other, but sometimes when we're stressed, the gut just carries all of that stress. Essentially, it takes it on cramps up um, really common to experience like a nervous diarrhea or nervous constipation, or if you're chronically stressed, ongoing kind of gut symptoms which might be far more related to um what's going on kind of mentally rather than like what you're eating um
0: yeah
1: and so stress management it sounds easy it's not easy practically um as we all pretty much know but um doing something i think doing like what i like to look at is what you, can you do every day that's going to help reduce your stress whether that's like literally 30 seconds of um like deliberate rest 30 seconds sounds like ridiculously small but if you can do that consistently we're actually getting you know I'm not a good maths person but over the year we're getting lots of minutes of rest yeah. uh, you know probably hours um in our um yeah in, in our day or in our whole um uh, I guess routine so yeah. um what can you do every day that's really small for some people that might be going for a walk it might be like cuddling their pet um, for example just a mindful um stress reducing like really relaxing calming the nervous system kind of activity yeah and then like what can we do that's probably like a little bit maybe bigger there so that might be more like if you are experiencing um stress or worry or anxiety um um, you know, looking at speaking to a health professional, there, counselor, a psychologist, like getting some professional support or mm-hmm. um, making something like a little bit more deliberate. Maybe it's doing like a yoga class, like most days of the week or, or once a week, or maybe it's doing meditation for like 20, 30 minutes every day. Like it, it, um, yeah, it could be something a little bit more big that we might know is going to directly going to long term um, improve how your body responds to stress. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think trying to include even the little small things can be really beneficial there for the gut.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. And then on that kind of note, there's also some really great evidence for gut-directed hypnotherapy. Um, oh,
0: cool.
1: Yeah, which is really interesting, like amazing evidence um, where there's been some studies where it's shown to be um, as effective as a low FODMAP diet in reducing IBS symptoms, which is pretty huge considering yeah. how much goes into following a low FODMAP diet. Yeah, <laughs> Which is not, it's not easy, but um, yeah, so so gut directed hypnotherapy is an awesome um, another awesome stu- like um, tool and strategy that we can use as well. So yeah. um, probably more for those that are experiencing more chronic gut related distress., yep. um, but
0: yeah, really beneficial there as well. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about like, what is that? That's the first time I've ever heard about gut directed hypnotherapy. So yeah, I'm really intrigued. I love hypnotherapy. So I'm sure this will be yeah. great too. <laughs> yeah.
1: So essentially um, gut directed hypnotherapy is, um, and I'm always like a little bit unsure how well I actually explain this, but essentially it's um, uh, a way of like relaxing the subconscious brain and retraining the subconscious brain. Brain so that when we're exposed to a possible trigger that, so Mm -hmm. stress, for example, or particular food that might normally set the gut off, it's like cause an IBS flare up, for example, um, our subconscious brain is kind of like retrained to have a different approach to that. So we know how to respond to that without having to like actively um, in the moment consciously be like, oh, I need to like take some deep breaths here. I really need to like consciously. Um, try to de-stress so I don't so my gut doesn't flare up it's sort of doing it on a little bit more of a subconscious level yeah so the process would involve working with either like a trained hypnotherapist or psychologist um, with this type of training um, or it's actually a really good app now available that you can do um, a guided hypnotherapy um, recordings and listen to it that way as well um, which is really cool so um, yeah, so essentially it's like doing those sessions where you um, firstly get the body into a really relaxed state and then into a state of hypnosis. It's not as woo-woo as it sounds, I guess. Um, but it's to um, yeah, to really help to retrain that gut. and it might be including a lot of visualization. so visualizing like, Um, a stream flowing really nicely which is kind of like a little bit of an analogy of how the gut can you know we want the gut to be flowing through to be passing through really comfortably and that kind of thing Um, and so usually it's best done consistently I think most of the research is around a 12-week program or 12-week period and then um, often there's like the option of using recordings from gut hypnotherapy later on and listening to them back when you might be experiencing a flare-up and um, yeah, and and addressing it there as well. But yeah, hopefully that kind of makes sense. I feel like I may have really butchered that um, explanation for any of the actual hypnotherapists out there. Um, But um, that's essentially my best understanding, I guess, a way of explaining it. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a wonderful tool and particularly in that area where We don't want to actually do a lot of dietary change. Um, It could be, you know, disordered eating or eating disorders or just someone who's just feeling really overwhelmed and doesn't want to make a huge change in terms of their diet for their gut health. Um, Hypnotherapy is an awesome one there as well.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredible. I'm so fascinated by that. What's the app that you're referring to that you can listen to the guided? Um, So the app is called Nerva, so N-E-R-V-A.
1: Beautiful. Um, Yeah. So that's, it's quite recently developed, but yeah, um, yeah, I've had a lot of clients use it and find it to be really helpful. And I always say like, even if it's just providing you with you know, 20 minutes of rest every day and relaxing. Yeah. We're probably be going to benefit the, the body and overall body in a lot of ways there too.
0: Definitely, so. yeah. And I love working on the subconscious level because I really see how that can make such a long-term change and really big transformations can come from working with the subconscious. So, yeah, all for that kind of stuff. Yeah. it's Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so any other lifestyle factors before we move on? um I'd say movement I don't think we've really talked about movement but
1: movement would be one that um you know we often kind of um I think in in the nutrition dietetic space we look really closely into the gut and we kind of go straight to the gut microbiome and of course it's wonderful um but um sometimes to remember that the gut is like a pretty large organ like it's technically it ranges from our mouth all the way down to the anus so it kind of extends all through the abdomen Mm -hmm. and um it is an organ that we can we can kind of stretch. We can we can give it some um, gentle movement. We can um, do things like yoga and Pilates and um, actually like physically kind of stretch the abdomen and kind of help um, elongate I guess our body so that our gut has room to digest food. It's not feeling too cramped up over a like sitting over a desk sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So movement, um, it could be moving like in any way you like walking, running, um, it might be more high intensity training, but I often suggest going to more of the, the gentle approaches if you're struggling with a lot of digestive issues. So like yoga can be wonderful. Um, yeah, Pilates, those kind of, um, stretching kind of based exercises that aren't putting as much like vigorous, um, pressure on the body and and aren't like causing a lot of like the blood to rush to the, the muscles immediately so like a blood flow diverts away from the gut we don't kind of want that too much because we want the blood flow to be helped nourishing the gut regularly as well
0: yeah absolutely yeah. brilliant yeah another good reason to move every day yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, mm. sure everyone knows that moving is helpful, but yeah. Yeah,
0: but it's sometimes yeah. it's important to hear it again and hear the many ways it's helpful because we know it's good for like our cardiovascular health, but when people hear that it's also good for our gut and it's also good for this and that, like then it just motivates us more and more to be like, okay, this is why people keep telling me to move. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it kind of makes it, I think that's where like um, as well, working away from like, exercise as a behavior to control weight like is yeah. it's quite a common thing in a lot of a lot of people experience or um uh, associate with say moving or exercise is like to
0: yeah.
1: body shape or weight when there is so much more that exercise can do for our bodies outside
0: yeah.
1: um it's out, outside of that and the gut is like one of those things that benefits greatly
0: yeah.
1: um so yeah definitely something to be aware of
0: yeah amazing and so, I would love to hear more about the link between our gut health and disordered eating that you mentioned earlier.
1: Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of um, interesting ways it can be linked. So, um, I suppose it's whether we're looking at so, like, what comes first, and it's sometimes hard to know whether the um, issues with the gut or disordered eating or eating disorders kind of start or come first. But um, I might give a couple of examples of both ends of that spectrum so how that can happen uh, but before saying that there is as we've kind of alluded to there is a very strong link between the two so between um, people who are experiencing disordered eating people who are experiencing gastrointestinal symptoms um, so anyone who has a um, a gut issue and particularly a functional digestive condition so that's more like ibs or functional bloating or functional constipation um, are more likely than say someone who's not experiencing those to develop um disordered eating behaviors so it's something to be really careful of I guess particularly as clinicians because we work closely with gut clients um, but also just if you experience a digestive condition and you're noticing some something not going too well with your mental health or relationship to food that's where it's worth um, getting some support there before it becomes um, yeah, more of a um, more of a toll or more of an issue for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I guess um, I might start with the gut side of it first. So, for example, if um, if someone's experiencing a gut-related condition, so that could be IBS, it could be inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or colitis, or it could be celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, that involves being really conscious of our bodies and really conscious of symptoms. So um sometimes it's being quite hyper vigilant about our symptoms and what we're eating because um probably a little bit more aware of those little everyday changes that are going on in the gut than say another person who doesn't experience um regular digestive discomfort and so that can be one area where some of this um might start but then also um most commonly with a lot of digestive conditions, there is some kind of dietary element recommended for management. So whether that's following an elimination diet, whether that's restricting trigger foods or suspected trigger foods, um, like if you Google like diet for IBS online, there is going to be so much that comes up and it's going to be really confusing. Because if you kind of, I suppose, try to follow everything that you see, you end up cutting out a lot of food. Yeah. Um, that can be really problematic for a lot of reasons. But um, I think one of the big things is that there's often an association with um, fear of the food. So Mm -hmm. food is causing the damage to the body or the food is causing the symptoms. Um, When it's like this is something I kind of of like to be a little bit particular on with wording, but food doesn't actually cause um, reactions, say symptoms, a lot of the time in some cases. So like in celiac disease, gluten will possibly cause a um, a symptomatic reaction and damage to the gut. But in a functional gut condition like IBS, the food doesn't actually cause the symptoms. It's more that there is a sensitive gut already and the food triggered off that sensitivity. So it's yeah. not all, it's just the trigger. Um, so it kind of helps distance that kind of connection that we have to be worried or fearful that the food has done this to our bodies. Yeah, But that can be quite a common thing where um, those who experience gut conditions can become really kind of hyper aware and hyper conscious of how food affects their body and start to become really fearful and possibly to the point of anxious about, um, you know, eating certain foods, um, feeling like they're isolating themselves from social situations where they might not be able to control food very well. Um, Yeah, so there's a few different areas where that can happen. And then before we know it disordered eating or an eating disorder may actually be what's going on there for that for that person so
0: um
1: it can happen in kind of really subtle ways but it can happen um over time and I think that's where having really supportive treatments and really being um yeah particularly aware as clinicians of how practitioners how we um how we approach our clients and what we recommend but also um just making sure that we're always um you know, paying attention to how um, someone feels about their relationship to food and their relationship with their body. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess on the flip side to that, um, we know that those who experience eating disorders um, do have a much higher, um, I guess, are much more likely to experience um, gastrointestinal symptoms. So that could be, again, functional gut symptoms or it could be a bit more like organic um, or structural related um symptoms going on as well. So a few examples of that is um, a restrictive eating disorder would lead to the gut not being able to absorb or the the gut not really having a lot of food moving through it. Um, Mm -hmm. So a really common occurrence is constipation for those that are experiencing restrictive eating disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. In the case of something like um, a purging-related disorder, um, which could be like um, something like bulimia, nervosa, Regular vomiting or um, regular purging can be really quite damaging to the body and the gut, um, and kind of lead to some discomfort and some symptoms ongoing after that, which could be a bit of a um, indigestion sort of feeling or reflux, um, or in some cases um, even like a tear in the esophagus or in the in the stomach, which can be pretty concerning and pretty damaging um, as well. So there can be a lot of different ways where um, that kind of happens. Um, in more of a binge eating kind of disorder, there might be um, really big changes in the amount of food that's regularly being digested in the gut. So um, we might go from quite commonly someone experiencing quite restrictive eating to then eating quite a large amount of food within a relatively short space of time.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: gut is essentially going to be a little bit like what's going on here um, <laughs> and struggle to take on that larger load, but then also not know what's going on and struggle when there's not as much food going in. So that's where maybe changes in stool habits could be really common to see and lots of bloating can be really common there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah so that's where I suppose those who experience eating disorders have a very there's a very common um, association with also experiencing some kind of gastrointestinal symptom. Um, but a really important thing there is that with recovery from the eating disorder, which is the priority here rather than the gut symptoms, mm-hmm. um, with that recovery through the, of the eating disorder, the gut will also recover as well. So, um, yeah, so, you know, treatment actually
0: helps both of those areas as well. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And I guess it just shows even more the importance of that holistic health and, like, how one thing really does impact other systems in the process
1: yeah exactly The body is not single little you know um, areas it's so so linked up and um, and it all kind of you know like that's that mental and physical health um coming together in so many ways so um yeah
0: yeah super fascinating thank you so much for sharing that with us it's definitely some food for thought yeah no that's okay yeah Beautiful. Is there anything else you want to touch on today in regards to gut health or gut health and disordered eating? That link we just discussed. Anything that you feel like the listeners should know? Oh, good question. Um, I feel like I think we've covered a lot, which is nice. Yeah, so <laughs> much.
1: So yeah. um, I think one of the big things is like, yeah, if you are uh, like the, kind of the question people ask is like what to do if you are experiencing Some symptoms or some issues whether that's disordered eating or whether that's gut related symptoms and I would say um, the first point of call is to talk to somebody about it whether that's a friend a family member or a health professional so try to get some support particularly if you're noticing um, mental health has changed or relationship with food has changed Um, and then I would aim to go and see um, your GP as a a starting point um, to see if you can get some support from them and see if you can find out know what's going on so often it might be referring on to have some blood work done it might be referring on to have um possibly like see a gastroenterologist and have some um have some um, scope so like a gastroscopy or colonoscopy or some further investigation to actually make sure that something sinister is not you know we've ruled anything sinister like um, inflammatory bowel disease or something that's quite um medically damaging to the body we've ruled those things out so Seeing your GP as a starting point, um, and um, I know it can be tricky if you don't have a regular GP or a GP that you um, really, I guess, um, find supportive, but there are so many wonderful GPs out there as well. So it's a bit of asking around, doing a bit of research and finding someone that you know um, is going to be supportive and going to be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, if you are experiencing either of those things or so an eating disorder disorder, um, it would be then looking at building a treatment team. So that would involve um, some kind of therapist, so a psychologist or psychiatrist, sometimes um, having your GP involved and then referring on to a dietitian for the dietary um, component and healing that relationship with food. Yeah. Um, and in a similar way with a gut-related condition, um, sometimes seeing a psychologist can be really beneficial as well, but um, it might not be everyone's. Um, uh, first point of call or the need to see a psychologist. but um I would always say that a, a dietitian or um, like a particularly gut health trained dietitian can be really, really beneficial to help work out the right like dietary approach um, from there and um, that can be organized as well through through seeing a GP um, doesn't have to be but yeah, so that would be one thing I would just be really um yeah, recommending if anyone is experiencing any of those things.
0: Yeah beautiful really great advice there and if the listeners were to take away just one thing from this episode in regards to what to do to support their gut health what would it be I know there's a lot of things that we've touched on today and all of those things would be beneficial but if you had to like prioritize one what would you say to start with
1: yeah
0: oh gosh (laughs) Um, sorry to put you on the spot it's a tough one
1: I (laughs) I was even thinking about this before and I'm like I don't even know if I pick three. Oh, it's such a hard one. I would probably say, um, to be honest, I would probably say, oh, I don't know, I think. <laughs> I feel like there's always pressure on this one question.
0: <laughs> um, if it does need to be up to three, you can say up to three okay. as well. I mean, um, maybe, maybe take you. some pressure off, yeah.
1: <laughs> one would be um, particularly to look at that mental health side of things because of that link that, like, um you know to find out whether it's it's being hit by stress for example or anxiety or worry or distress because we know that if we went down the other path that there is that high risk of developing disordered eating or kind of um going down the path of um being more restrictive and becoming really hyper vigilant around food and really like hyper kind of like concerned of food so I think my biggest priority would be most of the time to to check in sort of work out if it is stress related or if the mental health um, side of the picture is possibly related to um, gut issues if you experience any any gut issues it's is more for me if you have any issues with the gut but anyone yeah. at, at any stage even if they're having like pretty healthy gut like it's always good to check in with a mental with like how your mental health is going too.
0: Yeah definitely.
1: Um, so I think that would definitely be one. some people even if they are experiencing gut symptoms may be like completely unrelated to stress it might just be like it's it's genuinely more of something else going on it's like more function in the gut is just a little bit off so um my next my other thing would be to be consistent so with anything that you're trialing or doing it's really common to just try like all the things at once um (laughs) i understand why but try to be consistent whether that's doing that introducing another like type of food like a different sort of vegetable or fruit to just add that fiber and that variety into your diet try to do that pretty consistently before then stepping into trying like something else like supplements and um, that kind of thing Um, that would be probably my other advice is that the gut just loves routine um thrives off a good routine so um whether that's regular eating regular hydration or trying something at a regular pace that would be my advice there as well
0: Yeah. Beautiful. So good to know. Thank you for sharing that. And where can the listeners find you and continue to learn from you or work with you?
1: Yes. Um, so I, um, I'm on Instagram, uh, (laughs) as Um, most of us probably are these days Um, so I'm Rebecca Ponsford dietitian on Instagram Um, and then uh, consulting wise I work for GH nutrition so I consult um, with the lovely Georgia Houston um, and um, currently do telehealth consultations there so um, you can book in online at um, the GH nutrition website or um, send an email there Um, and yeah, and otherwise I'm, um, pretty much, pretty much always around happy to have a chat, um, whether that's through, you know, social media or through LinkedIn and that kind of thing as well. So,
0: yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your incredible knowledge and wisdom with us today. I feel like everyone is going to have a healthier gut after listening to this, and I have no doubt everyone's going to be um, paying more attention to their stools as well. So I'm (laughs) glad we went in depth there. (laughs) But yeah, thank you again and looking forward to staying connected. Beautiful. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. You're so welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I'd absolutely love for you to leave me a review and let me know what you think. I'm always open to feedback. And if you have any dream guests or topic requests, please feel free to send me a direct message or an email. If you know anyone else that this episode could benefit, I'd be so grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we can help even more people live a nourished life. Your support means so much to me, and I appreciate you being here.